welcome to Good Romance, the podcast where authors and other members of the Romance Landia community come on to talk about some of their favorite romance books. My name is Rachel and I'm your host. Today we're going to be talking about the intimacy experiment with Rebecca Podos. And thank you so much for joining us. It's a long one. I hope you enjoy it. Rebecca Potus is the Lambda Literary Award-winning author of YA novels. Her latest release is the co-edited anthology, Fools in Love, Running Press Kids. Her next is From Dust, A Flame, Bowser and Bray, 2022. By day, she's an agent at the Rees Literary Agency. So the book you picked for us to talk about today is The Intimacy Experiment by Rosie Gannon. Tell me why you picked it. I um, love this book so much. So I loved um, Rosie Gannon's first book, The Roommate, um, which I think came out maybe in 2020, um, either 2020 or 2021. Well, I guess 2020 of Intimate Experiment came out in 21. And it was so fun and um, like breezy, but the, the plot of that one was kind of this like sexually repressed, repressed New England socialite uh, moves to uh, California and ends up rooming with a sex worker, a porn star. Um, and it was about like the tension between their lifestyles and her idea of sex and his ideas of like, uh, you know, relationships and things like that. And it was so fun. So I was always going to read the follow up to that, which um, is about um, Naomi Grant, who is a sex worker and a sex educator, like pursuing her career in this and a reform rabbi. Um, and uh, I had loved Naomi who made appearances in the first book, not as like the, n- not a villain by any means, she's fantastic, but as a, an occasional like antagonistic force as a love interest ex-girlfriend. Um, so of course I was gonna follow her into the, the next book, but I wasn't expecting such like robust queer representation and Jewish representation. And um, it, it sounds like it could be like the punchline of a joke at the expense of sex workers or like, uh, you know, Jewish people. Uh, of course, I didn't think it was gonna be that. But when you talk about like the sex worker and the rabbi, um, uh, I was intrigued by the concept, but I just found the execution to be so wonderful and sensitive and uh, have so many thoughtful conversations about, um, uh, you know, education and consent and boundaries and uh, communication and relationships. And then like navigating intercommunity political discussions as a bonus to that, <laughs> sort of reconciling, um, you know, the, the world with your faith and your internal belief system. Um, and so it had like all of the conversations that I like in a book, but also super steaminess, <laughs> <laughs> like adorable banter and really great characters. So I just thought it was such a like a meaty romance novel and I'm really excited that you read it and that we get to talk about it I loved it I was not surprised by loving it because it was kind of it wasn't like a break a case of emergency book for me but it was a book that I was like I will read this it has Jewish representation that is like one of my always like I don't I'm not saying like an auto buy but I work in a library so I am just like you know it's an occupational hazard I'll take books home but if I see Jewish representation in romance I'm just like give it to me it's mine so it was like it was on my TBR I was in the back burner and you push it to the front so I appreciate that my first thoughts were okay it's Jewish great it's sex positive which is surprisingly refreshing like sex work is it's it's a lot better now than it has been but like I've heard on 
um faded mates that like it's so rare that like sex workers get to have the happily ever after they're so often the villain like the mistress is the villain especially in like histrom and mm-hmm. so it's just really nice to see that and i've also just heard amazing things about it especially like the roommate got a lot of great press um mm-hmm. so i was just excited to read it and so i'm so, so glad that i loved it because now i have a new like favorite to push out there although it is not light i haven't read the roommate yet it, this book is very meaty in terms of like, I mean, any Jewish book is going to be heavy on emotional trauma. I feel like there are very few like light Jewish romances out there. <laughs> I mean, like, the, yeah, <laughs> we're not a, a people who shy away from like heavy conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is like an interesting mix. And I, I could see how like maybe if that's not something you come looking for, it might be a little heavy for some like purely escapist romance readers um but that's not like necessarily what I come to the genre for mm-hmm. uh, so I loved it. it I would say it's probably like a little heavier than the roommate just because of the additional questions of like faith um and I mean obviously like the conversations around like sex work and consent and boundaries and public persona and the stigmatization of that industry were a big conversation in the first book this one definitely like dug even deeper uh, and I just really enjoyed it yeah I think that my I was surprised by the fact that it was a slow burn I guess because it's like you wouldn't think it kind of goes against like the stigma like the trope like oh sex workers are super like you know loose or whatever to use a derogatory term but like the idea that like they have to follow the steps of the program that they're following the book. I love that they kind of like are very good about boundaries. They're so good about boundaries with each other. It's the rest of the world they have problems with. Like really wonderful like communication around the issue of sex and like sex positivity and everything, which you might expect because, uh, you know, the setup is that he has brought Naomi in to lead a seminar on relationships and included in that is, you know, topics of like sex education and communication and so they don't have any problems about that like they don't make assumptions about each other's bodies about each other's you know habits uh, or their promiscuity or anything like that like I think they navigate that really well and when you think that would be like the major point of drama between them like it easily could have but it's not it's it is more like the broader like relationships and love and like your responsibility to your community versus your responsibility to yourself and things like that so I love that it didn't go for the easy drama uh, as it were and I love the discussion of community in these books because like the two big things I feel like that get pushed to the forefront of like I'd say Jewish conversations are community and family and a lot of the time like just like that people will go for like the easy plot point of like let's talk about how this crazy family this crazy Jewish family is just like you know the stereotype and I like how it it like tackled the family stuff without like having to be too subversive. Like it was like, yeah, we've got some family problems, but like we're people who are well-rounded outside of that. And they have these two intersecting communities. They have the Jewish community and like the sex worker community and like people who um, are part of like, you know, even like the farther rounds of it. Like Naomi used to be kind of like at the, the very center of the marginalizations of the sex worker community being a sex worker, um, although very protected given that she's white. Um, mm-hmm. And now she's kind of like drifting toward this like Venn diagram of it where she is like trying to find a place in the middle where she can be comfortable and where she can like find a place where Judaism means something to her following this like huge trauma she has as a young adult where she feels so marginalized from almost every other community. It's just, I love that that was kind of the center of the book and like finding your own space and finding your people because I find that to be such an important part of like finding Judaism as an adult because as a kid, you're like doing whatever your family does if you're lucky enough to have a family who's observant and that's something that's important to you. 
Mm-hmm. And then like, I found, I really found it very like kind of indicative of like a lot of people's experiences with it as an adult, like that you drift away from it. And then when you like settle down, you're like, oh, what, what's right for me? Right. And I, yeah, I think it balanced very well. Like the what's right for me, like how do, how can I live my life? How can I exist and, and observe my faith in a way that like is sustainable and, and respectful of, um, you know, myself in all areas of my life. But it also isn't like screw your community, like do what's right for you, because that's not the, like that's not the practical or the possible solution in many cases. Like Ethan, as a rabbi, um, was he felt a great deal of responsibility to his not only his like congregation, but people he'd brought in for these seminars, and just like the young Jewish people who weren't even like committed to a life of faith or anything like that. Um, they were just sort of like members of the greater child. Um, and I think, you know, he didn't let go of that feeling of responsibility towards them. Um, he just sort of, uh, redirected his energies and his attentions towards like the people who needed it most and the people who were like open to it, uh, to what he brought to the conversation at the same time, like starting in book one with the roommate. And then in this one as well, like Naomi Gant slash Hannah Stern, who is like her, um, or her legal name, like her childhood identity or what have you, uh, at no point like abandoned the sex worker community or anything like that in this quest to be like an educator or to um, change the industry, but like tried to like bring her community with her. And so I, I really love like that component of their characters as well. One thing that really stuck out to me is how everybody's just assumed she isn't Jewish all the time. I think partially because, you know, we're we're made clear that she is very light haired and light eyed and like traditionally attractive, beautiful. And she also like, you know, as a sex worker, I think most people aren't out there like making faith a huge part of their like they're not like, yes, I, the Jewish sex worker hair flip. Like I think yeah, like, maybe they don't have the true star and like they're like. OnlyFans bio. So that's not like how you're promoting yourself. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe that's a draw now. I don't know. I'm not like super plugged in, but I found it very indicative that like I have what I haven't thought of until like as an adult when I would talk to young Jewish kids, kind of an intercommunity privilege of being exactly what people think a Jew looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have like dark curly hair and darkish eyes and like kind of all of these kids. Like I look like the poster to, for the recruitment for like like come to the JCC yeah. like, nobody's ever like questioned my like oh who are your parents like unless they thought they knew my parents like like nobody's ever kind of questioned my Jewish cred of like oh do you have four Jewish grandparents oh like this that and the other thing they have to say we can got in fairly easily in like a synagogue setting without arousing like questions of like why are you here um, yeah nobody is- ever looks at me weird <laughs> right like that, that Ashkenazic like traditional Ashkenazic privilege like that is uh, definitely existent in in the Jewish community for sure. Yeah, and so like that's something I thought about until I was an adult, and I met like a little blonde girl who she was like, "Yeah, I'm Jewish. My mom's Jewish," and I was just like, "Oh, okay." Look, kind of Jewish because she like she kind of had like I don't I mean I I didn't mean it like in a like oh look at your nose kind of way, but I was just like, "Yeah, you have a vibe like tribe vibe." I just felt it with her, and she was just like, "Nobody's ever told me that before," and she was so happy, and I was like oh you poor thing like because she just I guess I mean even her mom could have looked blonde and like fair and like no but people probably wouldn't say that to her like it's it's so unfair that like especially because Naomi in the story is um, a patrilineal Jew which her father's Jewish and her mother is and that's something that in a lot of communities is considered well you're not Jewish unless your mother is Jewish right so like on top of like the yeah prejudice against patrilineal Jews um still like prejudicing against sex workers obviously like against queer people in Jewish communities like it's not 
if you're like in a reform setting, maybe it's not as likely, but I got told this past week in like a Jewish in like group uh, that, you know, Aquinas uh, was not like a traditional Jewish value. Um, so like it's out there, it still exists. So yeah. And I think like the weight of all of these things that she has to carry, um, you know, inside of her community, outside of her community, just like in the world that went into, you know, sort of shaping Naomi Grant out of Hannah Stern. Um, it's just like fascinating to see her sort of parse the line between the two identities. And like, what part of Naomi Grant did she create for like, you know, personal boundaries? What part did she create for like personal protection? Like, what about Naomi Grant? Can she like integrate into her everyday life? And and what like, does she need to let go of in order to embrace this like relationship and her faith and things like that? Oh yeah. And I think two things that I loved about the character is the firstly, like her actions and the way she lives her life is very much shaped by the person she became over the years, like her trauma over the betrayal she had in a relationship very young has led to her like kind of shaping her relationships in a specific way. And Mm -hmm. I love that she's just kind of, I mean, I don't want to call her a bitch because it says derogatory in some ways, but like she loves that she's kind of a bitch. Like she is- She would call herself a bitch. Yeah, I don't think it's- And I think that's kind of how she was like set up as outwardly appearing in the, the first book. And so it's really nice to see like her boundaries sort of like, get broken and to get inside her walls and see like what the view looks like from her perspective um what did did you think of ethan as the love i loved him so much what a cinnamon roll (laughs) yeah he is such a sweetheart i also think that like he's one of those guys who's very self-aware but at the same time like i'm gonna keep doing the self-destructive thing anyway and i i love that because it's so realistic like people sometimes will read romance heroes and be like oh well that's not how men are and i'm like i know a lot of men this is how they are like people will do things that they know are hurting themselves but they're like "Ooh, but the hurt is good i deserve the hurt and i think that's I think that I actually, my husband's uh, father predeceased like very, very young. He died when he was like a child. And I think that like people don't think about how the death of like father figures specifically in our society where like young men see their fathers as very much the blueprint for like how to be a man, uh, Mm -hmm. how that seriously affects people. And I I loved how they dug into that because like death of any way like really shapes you, especially when you're young as Ethan was. But like the death of a father figure for, we explore that a lot with like young women and a lot of like, in a lot of romance like it's like oh I have a dead mom or a dead sister or a dead dad and it's like a huge trump point of trauma for me and there's like dramatic backstory and for guys it's usually dead wife or dead mom or dead sisters as a dead partner that's a really interesting point um yeah I guess and uh I think like his character arc like his journey of self-discovery and change and things like that you could say is like a little um not lower stakes, obviously, like he has incredible stakes in this story, but maybe like a little um, quieter than Naomi's just because like hers is playing out on this. I mean, she's like globally known, like she's a famous person and she's got like this very famous career and then she's, you know, teaching these classes. And so like his stakes are at times like a lot more personal than hers are, Um, but they both have like a lot of trauma that they're working through and a lot of um, boundaries that they're trying to get beyond. So I really like the way their two storylines bounced out. I think they also both think a lot about how other people perceive them. Like it really weighs them both down in both private and public life because Naomi's like, I don't want people to see my trauma and think this is what sex workers are like. I don't want people to see my lack of like 
a long-term committed relationship and think that sex workers can't bond through sex or have like these experiences and just completely are cut off from their emotions. Like she's very aware of that. And then he, as a representative of the Jewish community and as the rabbi of this congregation and just like as a Jewish man is like, oh, I, I want to be perceived in this specific way. Right. And they're both going through this book thinking like, um, I don't want to ask more of my partner than I think it's fair for them to give. Like Naomi doesn't want to ask him to be in a relationship with her because like she doesn't want to embroil him in like the publicity and just the stigmatization of her profession. Meanwhile, he's thinking like, is it fair of me to ask uh, somebody who isn't like from my perspective, like an observant Jewish person or, or isn't on like the same level of faith or commitment to the synagogue as I am? Not that like it's bad for him, but that's a lot to put upon somebody because they are being held up in the public of like their synagogue and their community and they are being subjected to that scrutiny as well. So they both are like dealing with the same issues, but from opposite sides. Yeah, and I think when you talked about like with the, the quieter internal conflict, because they're both dealing with a lot of internal conflict, but Naomi is having hers played out on not just like a, a media scale, but because she is kind of being torn between her two communities and feeling as though there isn't a comfortable place there. But she is like, all of her conflict is on the outside. She's trying to break into a new kind of area of her profession of being an educator and like having her, like being respected on a level of like, not just like as a novelty. Cause I feel like that's what she feels as though she is. She's like, you know, the token sex worker a lot of the time. And for Ethan, he's like trying to figure out like what the next 10 years of his life looks like, what his family is going to look like, what his relationship with his mom and his sister is going to look like. He's kind of like on the brink of, uh, being dissolved and having like grown up in a synagogue that does not exist anymore like it's really sad when that happens and very painful um so to like have that on his shoulders as well yeah he has a lot of work to do and um I feel like we're making this book sound like really I mean it does like have very heavy weighty conversations I think it's all like beautifully balanced but it is also like really steamy as well oh totally like like, traditional sex like the, the baseball. With, <laughs> uh, uh-huh, baseball. The, and the scene with um, where they're like watching the video, the educational video of Naomi together, like, whew. Oh, yeah. Deep. I mean, for a slow burn, like she really like she really starts with the tension early and like they're just very attracted to each other. I, I love that with um, people who like know like, oh, this is probably not a good idea. But they're, they immediately know like, oh, this person could destroy me. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I know we're, we're kind of like resting on the heavier parts because that's like what's so special. I think what makes the book like really special is it's, it's a romantic, comedic, silly book that also has all these elements that you don't find other places. That's why we're talking about so much. Than you would expect maybe. Um, yeah. You would expect it if you read um, Rosie Dennon's first book. That was Which awesome. I will definitely now put to the top of my list. I'm sure it's on the yeah. shelf somewhere. Um, do you think after reading this one that there is going to be a third book because I have a guest who's a third book like who the character could be in a third book if there was one but I don't know if I'm right about I feel like it's the sister right it's Ethan's sister is she gay I feel like she's gay I don't remember if she is um I know she has her and one of the reasons I think this is because of the setup with like her job Mm -hmm. um filming like this reality show right at these like exact locations I can't remember where but it does seem like uh, and the way that like the film industry has kind of like been in the background of both of these books I feel like that was a really interesting character to dive into next um either way I don't remember 
Okay, but I know I'm gonna I would follow into the third book obviously if it was written oh yeah I think that I'm definitely adding her to like my list of people I keep an eye out for I don't like like because I kind of dive into the backlists of a lot of authors but there are very few who I'm like I've got to like know when they have something coming out because yeah. I don't have a lot of bandwidth <laughs> I think that it's just so sexy without having a lot of sex in it at the beginning I think that's kind of reflective of the sex educator in the book like because Naomi's like every kind of sex is sex yeah like even if it's not I think that a lot of like romance books place a lot of importance on like this is the penetration time yeah this book is like you know other parts of sex are important if not more important they're interested in that maybe they never get to it and I think like it goes back to the conversation in the first book because like one of the (laughs) one of the like silly objections people have in real life sometimes to like communication around sex like talking about what you want talking about what your boundaries are is like oh it's not sexy to have those conversations about sex and like Naomi Grant's whole mission uh going through these two books is to prove that like it'd be really sexy to talk about sex in a way that is respectful and safe for both partners um and boy was it (laughs) the book is also just like I know it's a romance but super romantic like it shouldn't just be because a lot of people will be like, oh, everybody accepts each other for who they are, which is just like, you know, that's the baseline. But I think like, you know, opening up something new within yourself because of somebody else, like because of seeing his passion for Judaism and for scholarship, she's like, maybe I'll think about it again. And I mean, she's not doing it just for that. Something that she was pursuing for her. And that was something that she had to make clear to him. Uh, points like this journey like this is a personal journey it's not just like for you or something I'm doing for like the aesthetics of it or what have you or out of obligation um and I think that was like again a big part of it is like what do you what are you prepared to like do for your partner what do you do for your community what do you do for yourself um and how do you like balance all of those responsibilities in a way that lets you live a life that is like true to you um, which was like the journey that both characters were on. I am such a communication whore. I love <laughs> any book in which characters are like, these are my expectations. And like, I believe in change very much for people. Like, I'm like, okay, if what you want changes, that's great. Because I mean, you know, people, life is long. Um, and that's not, but like, <laughs> co- like the idea that they were like, well, someday I want to get married and have kids in the book, which is not like, it, I wouldn't say it's rare in romance, but a lot of the time people will just kind of like skirt around it until whoops, baby happens, uh, which I, yeah, epilogue baby. I wouldn't have minded an epilogue baby, honestly. I, I cause I love the idea of them. I mean, now I can just kind of, I can kind of like have my own, like uh, my own canon of like in a couple of years, they're married and they are like rejuvenating yeah. this conversation. <laughs> and Naomi has like an entire seminar she's teaching at like, I don't know, UCLA. Like I can retcon that in my head. Um, yeah, I love an epilogue baby. Like, I don't mind their epilogue pregnancy, but I also think it like having that conversation makes sense. But it, well, I don't want to spoil everything. I don't want to say that that doesn't happen. Well, I guess we've kind of already established that there's no epilogue baby. Um, mm-hmm. Like, we we leave these characters like they have very strong goals for themselves. Like, building a whole again, like a building up a synagogue and a community, and like building up a career in academia, basically. And, you know, they've got a lot going on. They've got a lot on their plates right now. And I think that's totally fine. Yeah, I don't mind a book that doesn't wrap everything up. Like a book that did this really well, the most recent, I think, um, Emily Green book, People We Meet on Vacation. They were like, we don't know what our lives are like yet, but we do love each other and we're committed to it. 
really terrible as I haven't read People We Meet on Vacation, which is ridiculous because Beach Read was one of my like favorite romances of like the past two years or whatever. I absolutely love Beach Read. And so I need to read People We Meet on Vacation. And now I'm already looking towards like the third book that's coming out, but that's going to be, that's on my top of my TBR for sure. I mean, I am so guilty of like favorite authors just languishing in my pile and on my TBR. My TBR is, is people be like, oh my God, I'm 25 books deep my TBR. And I'm just like, you have not, I was born in the TBR. Like I was bolted by it. You don't understand. Kind of nice being like, I mean, it's not like self-denial, but being like, okay, I know I'm going to love this book when I have like the space and time to devote to it. So like it can sit comfortably in my TBR because like, I know it's going to be there for me and I'm going to love it when I get um oh so another thing I loved in this book which uh like stuck out to me because so I have a friend who is uh, uh going to school for like sex education also queer and Jewish very fantastic and um one of the things that they talk about is like men modeling for men how to respect women's boundaries and how to have those conversations and I love the scene where Ethan like his initial instinct is to punch somebody who's disrespecting Naomi, but then he actually models like trying to have a, a, a conversation that this guy can take away and change um, about um, like, just because like you recognize Naomi or you, right, you recognize somebody from their sex work just because you know one facet of a person doesn't mean you're entitled to all the aspects and that person's time and energy. And like, you can't come up and proposition a sex worker in public just because you think you have some sort of like, parasocial relationship with them or whatever and that conversation doesn't really work out and then they punch each other and that's cool too because I like to see that as well but mm-hmm. uh, that was like a really cool small thing to, to watch a man like walk through walk another man through like this conversation yeah I think communication is like one of the really big through lines of this book not just like about sex but also just about expectations and understanding like kind of boundaries of all kinds not just physical boundaries but like emotional boundaries like places where you're like comfortable because I think in Ethan's family specifically there's a lot of stuff that they talk about they don't talk about by like tacit agreement and Mm -hmm. by the end of the book they kind of get to a place you're like we're going to talk about it a little bit especially with his sister which I really liked um oh yes I really I would I liked like the dynamic between them which was again like antagonistic but very ultimately supportive that's very like grown-up siblings kind of vibe very much so. Um, so given like what you learned about Claire and Josh in this book, are you really excited to see like the beginnings of their relationship when you go back to book one? Oh, totally. I think I remember a quote of like, it was the most romantic dry humping I'd ever seen. Um, and I'm just like, oh, I'm going to read that. <laughs> I remember the dry humping. I do remember the dry humping. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, and I also, I love forced proximity. It's one of my favorite tropes, especially because like, I'm I was really gonna ask my favorite romance tropes are. Oh yeah, that's definitely that's one of my questions actually for you. So my favorite romance tropes are probably uh, forced proximity. I love marriage as convenience, but it really has to like. There's some consent stuff there that it has to kind of meet for me. Um, mm-hmm. I love enemies to lovers, like everybody. Um, and I love. Um, oh, what's my other big one? There, I definitely have like um, a really big yen for just anything that is like people who are very different like opposites attract kind of situations as long as it's like opposites like she likes to read and he's into sports and not like she's really cool about human rights and he's a monster yeah and I like Republican and Democrat opposites but like you know 
reader and non-reader like that's fun <laughs> person who loves candles and person who doesn't love candles like I can yeah sure really so what about you um okay so I um like enemies to lovers is not one of my personal favorites but I think oh no you're expelled from the internet forever <laughs> I well I've had these very public story conversations about this I like rivals to lovers I think rivals to lovers is really good cool. um, I I sometimes enemies to lovers like it depends on the execution because there's some books that I absolutely like you could say that red white and royal blue was enemies to lovers but I think it's rivals to lovers like they're both on an equal like the pa- there's not like a weird power dynamic like one's not on the right side and one's on the wrong side or whatever well they're both kind of on the whatever um <laughs> like there's it's a failure to misunderstand to understand each other properly yeah there's mutual antagonism but there's not sometimes there's like again like weird power dynamic like sometimes somebody is your enemy because like they're an asshole <laughs> like yeah. they're, they're like they're fighting on the wrong side of the war or what have you um so like it depends on the execution of that dynamic but I do love rivals to lovers um I love a uh, second chance romance is like oh one of my yeah favorites um and I know that one can be like a little added people sometimes and it does depend on the execution but um that's the trope I took for our rom- romance trope anthology because I just love the idea that like maybe this relationship or this person like you weren't right at this point in your life maybe you weren't ready for a relationship maybe they weren't ready but like something in your like personal growth since then like you have become the person that you need to be in order to pursue like a healthy relationship and oops here they are again like here's your chance and so I like that that trope can be like personal narrative arc driven um so I really like that one as well um let's see I I mean there are so many (laughs) (laughs) how does one choose among children classic like only one bad snowed in together like forced proximity kind of situation because like but what I love about that is like you could sleep on the floor you don't like there's always the option presented like I don't look like a romance where two people have to sleep in the same bed together for like at gunpoint but if it's like you're just really needed the excuse to sleep in the same bed together like I'm on board for that trip for sure there's like a tacit consent of we could definitely not do this, but now that we have the excuse to do this, let's totally do this. Yeah, like fine, because we have to. Like, mm, you don't. Like, you could sleep in the bathtub, but sure, tell yourself that you have to do it. That's oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. What was your like romance first love? I feel like people generally like their entree is historical romance, but what was like your big one? I definitely read a lot of like YA romance just because I, well, I love YA. I like, um, um, when I started, honestly, I didn't start reading a lot of like current romance until a couple of years ago. And maybe it was like the start of the like pandemic is when I really dove into the market today in part, because I think we were all looking for a little bit of like joy and escape. And in part, because, um, I had authors who've been working in YA forever and they wanted to start moving into like adult romance and rom-com. And so I really needed to like familiarize myself with the market and I just like fell in love. So I think it was the big, like, yeah, the, the big adult rom-coms like Red, White and Royal Blue, um, Beach Read. Um, uh, one of the first uh, romance series I remember reading is Alyssa Cole's um, Princess in Theory, like the Reluctant Royal series. which oh, is That's so- a great one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like Alyssa Cole, Emily Henry, and Casey McQuiston were my, at least like in this chapter of my life, 
which is like pretty recent, but I had been reading YA romance for like a long, long time before that. So what about you? Were you just like historical romance first and then? I think I started in YA and like, for me, it was like, you know, cause YA has like a lot of those like kind of overlapping ones where it's like, this is fantasy romance and this is like, you know, regular, like, re- like uh, the, the, what's the word? Oh, I love it. Oh, wait, wait, fantasy romance. I read Cushiel's Dart series when I was like 17 years old, probably two Cushiel's Dart series at that time. But I'm going to say that was my first ever like adult romance read. And I just have, have uh, not looked back from that series since then. But yeah, so sorry, go ahead. I think I got a hold of like a Tessa Dare book at one point. Like I think my, my entree into like romance written for and by adults was right. um, like Tessa Dare and like historical romance, like not like typical Regency stuff, not like Georgette Hare, nothing like super like, you know, hoity toity, but like, you know, I definitely read like, you know, the John Greens, the like not so much romance, but romantic because I think yeah. people, people, I mean, we have the argument every third or fourth day on Twitter, like romance versus like romantic fiction. Um, right. I think I didn't really get into like the genre as it were, like as an independent genre until I was like in my late teens. And before right. that, I was like in YA kind of like dithering about the edges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fair. And well, I think like um, also it, it's not entirely recent, like there have been like diverse authors writing romance for, I mean, like Beverly Jenkins has been writing for like there are amazing, uh, you know, authors out there writing from different cultural perspectives, but like, I feel like it, it is a lot easier these days to find romance and rom-coms outside of the like straight, uh, cis, white, uh, uh, abled like kind of box. And, um, that appeals to me more than like maybe previous iterations, which is again, not to say that there weren't like great authors out there, but I think they're just more findable these days, maybe. Um, oh, definitely. Like with um, The Duke Who Didn't, the most recent, or not the most recent Courtney Milan, but one of the more recent Courtney Milans has an Asian hero. Some things that like most trad pubs will do. Like, I mean, recently we've had a lot more like Helen Hoang has been an explosion onto the scene, like, but that's not something that like trad pubs, especially even in like TV, like you don't see a lot of like romantic, like this is a hot guy and he is an Asian guy. And like, that's super amazing. Like there are people who like, she started out in trad pub and now she does her own thing. And like people who do both, like I think romance has really exploded as a genre just because of the accessibility being so much better since we have like internet. (laughs) Absolutely. And wasn't, was it Meryl Wilson? Were they the first like FF, rom-com from like a big five publisher was that and that was only a couple of years ago if it wasn't the first it was definitely like one of the first that I remember being like big five receiving like some actual like support from the publisher um because I know like um the oh uh the, the constellation one came out like before that but I don't was that I don't even remember what that came out from and there's like Count Your Lucky Stars, I think is the one. Are you talking about that one? No, that was um, Alexandra Bellafleur. Alexandra Bellafleur, yeah. That's really right. recent. Yeah, that was more recent. There was the, oh my gosh, this is terrible. That I can't remember it because it was like one of the first ones that I read. But they have, there are like two women on the cover of the book. It's a historical romance. And there's like a big red dress in the background. It's Olivia Wait. Olivia um, Wait, yeah. She did the Celestial Mechanics one. Celestial Mechanics, yes. Um, but I feel like 
yeah, Meryl listeners, something to talk about was one of the first. Oh, yeah, I read that one too. Yeah, and I and I just remember being like, oh my gosh, so amazing that this is coming out, but also like, it has not been done before. Like, are you kidding me? Um, and that's done like better with the deals that we've gotten just even in the past couple of years. Like, um, mm-hmm. sold a couple of like uh, queer and sapphic romances to big buy publishers in the past couple of years. And it's really exciting. Um, but yeah, definitely. Like, I think if I had turned to it at in a previous era, it wouldn't maybe have held me the way that it does now. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking the other day about um, Maureen Johnson, who wrote the Bermuda's Triangle, a YA book. I think that was like the first like big five YA book to include a lesbian romance at all. Like, Mm. and now, like, I think it's been out something like 15 years because it came out when I was in high school, I feel like, but it could have been earlier. And now, like, I think people think of YA as like a very diverse genre, but I think in general, YA is a couple of years ahead of most Like, cause in Rome, like, remember like the explosion, like maybe like in 2015, uh, like when, I think that was the year that, um, that the Hate You Give came out. That was the year that they were like, oh, wow, Black people read. Who would have thought? Yeah, it's, it's very recent. Um, and I know because like, I've been agenting since around, I've been representing my own book since around 2012. So like about 10 years of like actively selling books in the business. And I see how much easier it's, I'm not saying it's still easy. I'm not saying that like, publishers buying diverse books necessarily translates to like publisher support for those books after they come out and after they hit shelves mm-hmm. um just like the 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 possibility like the the rejections that I've gotten that like oh this is niche oh this is like outside the mainstream oh like I couldn't relate to this so much those have definitely like tapered off in a way for quite some time they're not all altogether gone oh yeah Melinda Lowe's Ash came out a little over like 10 years ago there's like oh these, yeah like, yeah, and that was like one of the the big first like sapphic um books out there mm-hmm. and it just happened since then like because of that book and because it looks like it but uh I think we're starting like the the adult genre definitely ran like, a little behind YA for sure when it came to these conversations oh yeah I mean I think definitely like the last three or four years even have been so huge because like the beginning of the 2020s it was like okay let's actually like get our asses in gear and try to be like here in this century like I think there's still a lot of I mean unfortunately a huge part of the romance community is um what I would call um the bad whites the white supremacists like the the people who are you know still like like basically anybody who votes republican I'm sorry this podcast is not for you we I, I'm sure you, you think that you're a good person, but if you believe that human rights are reserved exclusively for uh, the right people, then you're wrong. <laughs> so like, I, there's a huge part of the romance community that these, that these conservatives who like, you know, they, I mean, I, I tend to have like kind of, I, I, this is an internal bias that I want to work on, but like I have a negative bias toward people who read a lot of Christian romance because I'm like, oh, you are probably in this group of people who don't believe that certain people should be allowed to get married but like I know that also like a lot of Christian romance is black romance but like I have this really I know this is a bad thing to think I just I think that like a lot of the the conservative women who read romance wrong side of history but like it's a huge part of the market unfortunately yeah I think there is a a a readership for sure and like you could say this about any genre but definitely there's readership in romance that's like clinging to the idea of like as a pure escape genre and I love the escapism of romance I do but if by escapist, you mean like, you don't have to think about anybody who's different than you, like you don't have to think about any intersectional issues. You don't have, want to have to think about 
what it's like to like navigate a relationship as black woman or as a queer person or as like a rabbi or something like that. You just want to have like your, your steamy scenes that involve people who look exactly like you, like get out of here. (laughs) Well, and I think the problem is when you want to include people who aren't like you, but don't want to talk about their actual problems. Like they're like, oh, there can be a black guy in it, but I don't want any black stuff in there. That's not like the cover, right? Like just, yeah, like change the picture on the cover, but keep the content the same. But that's not the way it works. And like we see in in um, this book, uh, which you were talking about, like, because you're talking about like a different culture, you're talking about a, a different community, um, It like both in terms of sex work and in terms of the Jewish community, like it does involve greater conversations. Like it's not just two people having beautiful sex in a room. Like there, there's a lot that goes into their considerations for their relationships with each other, with their families, with the greater world. Um, and like, that's part of what really interests me in this book and, and books like it. Yeah. That's one of the things I think about a lot is that no matter where you go, there you are, you take your stuff with you. Like no matter how rich you are, you're still a black man, no matter how smart you are, you're still like a tiny woman who people might not listen to. Like I am a very short, petite person. And in my profession, I'm almost finished with my degree to become a librarian. Um, I do see uh, it's great. I do see men and white women who are more European looking with like the light hair and the light eyes advance farther. And that's kind of exhausting, but like I have to work within the parameters that I have, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So like you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't write stories about your life and not include like the truth about your life and your experiences. And I think, you know, greater availability of books like that. I think it's not that people weren't writing them. I think the market wasn't buying them. Uh, and I think now we've had like a bunch of big breakout books and it's unfortunate too, because like you say, like Beverly Jenkins has been writing forever, but I think then sometimes you get into a case of like, well, we've got our like black women out there for this imprint. Like that, that's enough for that audience. Yeah, the tokenism of it. The tokenism. And it's absolutely not enough. Like you can't just buy like one or two diverse books per season and be like, well, that's that checked off of the list. Like um, I, I, but I do think like the buying habits of the industry and, and there are imprints, um, who I work with, who are like really genuinely looking for, um, uh, a, a greater diversity in their authors and very much willing to support it. And that's been great to see as well. One of the little things I, cause like, you, you know, I, I think when I read, um, something to talk about the, the one that had, I think an, an Asian American, American character and a Jewish American character, I didn't know that the author wasn't Jewish, like for sure when I was reading it, but by the end I was like, this is not totally, this is not, this is probably not written by a Jewish author just because like, I wouldn't say it was stereotypical and I really enjoyed reading the book, but like there are some elements of just being Jewish that can't really be conveyed to somebody who isn't unless they're like, you know, Jewish adjacent for a long time. Like I have close family members who aren't Jewish, but can kind of describe the Jewish experience because they've been around it a long time. But like reading this book, it felt really Jewish because I was like, oh, he has an upset stomach. Me. <laughs> he has an anxiety problem. Me. Like if you're worried about drinking milk? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the fact that he just has saltines in his office. I'm like mood. Mm-hmm. I've got saltines in every room in my house. I have not, I don't know if I've ever been in like a rabbi's office that didn't have saltines in it. So that means- yeah. Like if he just mentioned, you know, like the, the, the bag of like candy, that's never going to expire. Like <laughs> that he has yeah, in his office. In ours, we had like, you know, those little like jelly candies that have crystals. Oh yeah, the super oh, gross ones. Yeah, they're just like a tub of individually wrapped crystallized jelly candies in my rabbi's office or whatever. Like they're probably mm-hmm. <laughs> And then there was also like an old man or an old woman who'd like hand out peppermints or whatever, just randomly. Yeah. The candy man. 
yeah, like you say, like windows and mirrors, right? And this was just like, it was really cool to read, again, like a really steamy, fun, sweet book, but also just like casually see yourself reflected on the page, um, which is, I think, you know, it's getting better, but I do think it's something that people underestimate and like, well, if you're going to read like a Jewish book, you have to read like a book specifically about the Jewish experience. But like, if you're just reading a book by a Jewish author, even if the characters aren't like explicitly Jewish, like you could be reading a second world fantasy by a Jewish author and you're going to pick up on things that like you wouldn't get elsewhere. And so like just like, being able to like casually point to yourself on the page and being like, ah, yeah, like that's a facet of genre that I think is really underestimated. Um, like the well, value- I think even thinking about how Christianity is kind of saturated in all literary, like what are the three things that we learn about in English class that are most referenced in literature? The Bible, meaning the Christian Bible, not the Torah, not the Mishnah, not the Midrash, um, Greek mythology, and um, oh, what's the other one? Shakespeare. So like, you know, those those are three things that come from like very, quote unquote, Western canon that are not like from diverse, a diverse place. And so like, you know, romance has this like real Christian normativity problem that people aren't talking about. And I think like, even if you look at like Helen Hoang's books, like one of her, like, I think two or three of her characters come from a traditional, like, you know, first generation American Asian background. And they have like, you know, ritual practices that they practice that aren't Christianity. And I think that's amazing just to like, and they're not like super involved. Like they're not like, you know, like mystics. They just have that as a part of their life. Yeah. Um, And I think, yeah, I mean, I could probably go like, in an earlier era have gone like my whole life reading books that didn't have like specifically an intentionally Jewish content like this and just be like yeah like this is what it is but it's still so nice to see and just like uh affirming and validating to like have an author who had to specifically make those choices and they made it they made a different choice you're right than just like you know the sort of default setting (laughs) yeah I think in the same way that like a lot of authors in romance like set their characters as you know, default white. It's also default Christian. And I love seeing that. I know that we've talked a huge amount about the Jewishness in the book, but I mean, it's also just super romantic and sweet. I I kind of love like the little, a lot of the time in like romance books, especially in contemporary romance, you don't get like little life moments. Mm-hmm. I love the little <laughs> life moments in this book of like, we're just going to sit around and be together. Yeah. They feel like very real characters in a very real relationship. Like we're not just seeing the highlights reel of them. It's like, it feels like an organic relationship that is taking place. Um, yeah, and like getting to know each other. And they also like a lot of the time, because in, in Regencies and in historicals, the kind of like relationships are on a more conservative timeline. Cause it's like, oh, we have to get married before we even really get to know each other. And right. like falling in love really quickly. I'm not opposed to that. But I think most adults when linking their lives together take more time than right. a lot of the time it'll be like six months. <laughs> yeah. And there was like an insta attraction, obviously, but because they're both very attractive people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but there wasn't, yeah, it, it wasn't like an insta love, insta romance. And I like, I don't even hate that trope. Like, I think it's fine if, if that's something that you're interested in. But yeah, I do like watching people in the process of falling in love instead of just like being told that they're now in love. Mm-hmm. And like, we see, um, not to spoil too much, but through the epilogue, like, it's like the they have the weeks of the seminar and then like they continue to build their relationship like I think a lot of the time in romance it's like okay we've fallen in love and now we're done and our relationship is built (laughs) here's our relationship and it's going to change like we're we're finished like 
your relationship continues to change, whether you're dating or engaged or married or what, like your relationship is going to change your to work on it for the rest of your life. So it is nice to see like the door open and be like, oh, of course, this is going to like, this story is going to continue off the page. Does that just make yeah. sense? And if there is this, if there is a third one, I really hope that they have kind of like a cameo in the background, just in, in oh, a similar bet. way that, that Josh and um, I'm forgetting the name of his partner. Clara, right? yes yes yep. are in this book which I, I i really enjoyed their characters even though i haven't read the first one i feel like they both like really have a supportive role in naomi's life in a way that feels very honest to somebody who has distanced people because one of her big things is that she is not willing to let people into her life to be supportive she's willing to be supportive of other people and to like be kind of like a ride or die friend but she won't let other people be there for her yeah I think she'll be incredibly like tough for other people, but it's hard for her to be vulnerable for other people. Um, yeah. Like all the stuff that she impacts over the course of the book. But yeah, the moment like between her and Josh where she's let him in and let him be like a real, like a really good friend and support system for her, which was so sweet. That was adorable. I also loved that like, you know, she, because we talked a little bit about how she's kind of a bitch, which she loves about herself. She doesn't stop being a bitch when she becomes more emotionally vulnerable. She stays herself. Like I think- a lot of the time in the journey from like strength to weakness, we see characters that are like, okay, I'm just nice now. Right, right, right. <laughs> and it's not that simple. She's just like, I'm still the person I, I'm still assertive. I still, you know, do my thing. Yeah, I think there's a world in which she could have at the end of this book been like, well, I'm not Naomi Grant anymore. I'm only Hannah Stone. Like Naomi Grant like might've grown out of like the need to protect herself and, you know, take care of herself. But like, she's also a wonderful person like there's so much to love about Naomi Grant and so I think it ended with her more like integrating these two parts of her life and like integrating sort of um two sides of her uh into like a healthier person who is comfortable moving forward in this relationship instead of just like discarding everything that's happened to her and every way in which she's grown over the past like decade or two yeah, and I think kind of like it's kind of a coming of age book in that same way for her and for Ethan, because he's just like thinking about his responsibility to his community and thinking about his responsibility to his family, which he feels like he's maybe neglected in some ways and like his emotional responsibilities to himself. Like, what is he denying himself? What kind of happiness right. does he deserve? Mm-hmm. And like for Naomi, she's like kind of coming to a realization of like, what is she deprived herself of because of the way that she like perceives the Jewish community and what has she denied herself in terms of like romantic love and that kind of thing like finding finding a way back to the you that you want to be as an adult like like kind of leaving behind like the 20s level of like kind of self-denial and obfuscation of your real desires yeah like I feel like that's um you know the coming of age thing like the difference between in young adult you get like what kind of person do I want to become and how do I like become that person when I have kind of limited control over my own life as a young person. Um, and then an adult, we get like these transformations when people have to stop and look around and take stock of their surroundings, take stock of like, who am I? Like, am I happy? Like, is this the person that I really wanted to be? And what am I going to do about it? And I think that was like a big, a major part of this book is two people who've kind of like been running from past trauma and like uh burying themselves in ostensibly very altruistic like burying themselves and serving the Jewish community burying themselves in like um sex education and 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 everything that they're doing is like good for their communities but 
are they truly like happy the way they are? Are they living exactly the lives that they want to be living? And are they willing and able to change something in order to like get to that better place? You know, like taking stock of like the person you've become through necessity and like, mm-hmm. is this how I want the rest of my life to go? Cause like, I, I don't like to say that uh, people have this weird idea that your life is over when you're 30. <laughs> <laughs> There's this idea that like after 30, it's just all downhill from there. But like, you know, you don't, if you could stop growing and changing when you turn 30, I'd be very concerned about the world population. Yeah. Speaking as like an over 30, speaking as a, a mid thirties person, um, obviously <laughs> most of the things I would grab out my twenties are like pre-pandemic lifestyle stuff, but <laughs> I can honestly say, uh, I spent a lot of my twenties, like worrying about other people's perception of me, like worrying about, um, I don't know, like how to be accepted and liked by my community instead of like, how can I be the best possible member of my community and take care of myself, like, and take care of, you know, the, the, the people around me and, and like, you know, juggle all of these things. Um, so there's some good things to being over 30, I think. But I think generally like the idea that, you know, you're done becoming who you are when you're like, you're 25 and now you have a job and you, you're like, there's so many different like emotional ages too, because there's this like concept that like, okay, once your brain stops developing, that's you now. And I'm yeah. like, oh God, I hope not. And that's why I think it's also so wonderful, like for adults to read YA too, because you're watching people like given the, like the sort of limited circumstances try and, um, you know, navigate this idea of who do I want to become? And like, it's not too late when you're in your twenties or thirties or forties, like you can still change your ideas about the kind of person that you want to be, or the kind of life you want to be living or the kind of relationship that you want to be in, uh, and, and work towards that. Oh, yeah, I love why I've been reading it since I was like, you know, the target demographic. Yeah. And I think that like, there's a lot that it can teach us also just I think that it's a really good meeting ground with like the young people in your life. Like, even if you're not a parent of a young adult, you can connect with a lot of people who are young adults who are important to you. And like, being able to like read some of the same stuff. And like, there's even great children's books that I'm like, I would still read just by myself today. Because yeah. like, just because it's written for an audience doesn't mean that like, I can't enjoy it. Like I, most World War II history books are not written for me. I can still okay. find some interest in that. Uh, yeah, I think um, adults would respect young adults more if they read more YA. Um, but yeah, YA is just like a genre has completely exploded since I was a kid, which was like the HP era and everything. So there was like, you know, the classic like babysitters club and sweet valley high and things like that but as you know uh this huge like juggernaut of a genre with all this excellent representation like queer and like the very few queer books that might have existed when I was a teenager were very like issues driven and like all of the pain was like specifically queer pain and like all of them were pretty much like coming out stories and there was like trauma involved and that's fine like we need those stories too but just in that one genre like and in the last 20 years and in the last 10 years, like the, the breadth of representation um, has grown so wonderfully. Like I can't really picture even the roommate or like um, uh, the intimacy experiment existing like prior to this decade or whatever, but I'm very glad that it does. Oh yeah, I think that like we're living in a very specific time where people are recognizing that like 
there are people who just kind of exist on the margins of what we think of as respectability, quote unquote. And like, they also deserve happiness. Like, it's like the doesn't a poor Taylor deserve even a moment of happiness? (laughs) I agree with you. Um, And that's why one of the reasons I love this, um, like newer age of romance and rom-coms so much is because it's more interesting to read about that, I think. Yeah, and I think everybody like I don't I don't want to yuck most people's yum. Like I think most I think all reading is good reading. There's this I'm sure you're aware of it as you're also in the YA space of like everyone's like I want my kid to read something other than graphic novels. That that sentence could send me on the warpath. But yeah, like all yeah. reading is good reading unless it has harmful messaging that can hurt people. Like that is my my personal opinion that I also oh. think is correct. Um, but like you know I think that you know if you like to just read fluffy rom coms like. Um, there are some really great ones out there. And like, I think that those being written by more diverse people for more diverse audiences, like you can have a book that is like a black romance about two black people falling in love that is just a hundred percent fluff. And I, I love that. I am such a huge fan. Yeah. Um, I have to once again, super recommend, I wouldn't say it's like 100% fluff, but it is very fluffy. The Lithical's Reluctant Royal series. I feel like you're looking for a place to start in the romance genre. I have a couple recommendations. Or recommendations. That's that. Oh yeah, like- I love. I've read a Princess in Theory, and I just kind of put the others on hold because I'm like, I'm gonna need that later. This mm-hmm. is a special treat. This is a treat for later. <laughs> well, there's a, of course she has and uh, the Sophic novella, and there's like a, a Sophic novel that's just come out uh, in the mm-hmm. past. So, good time to get into the series. Yeah, Alyssa Cole. She's also getting into like thrillers now, which is super cool. I yeah, think yeah, that yeah. like, yeah, binding within a genre is also a huge thing too. Like you really get stereotyped by what you write. And so I think a lot of authors feel very restrained of like, this is what my readers want. I'm just glad to see people being like, I'm going to write whatever it is. And it will see yeah. how it goes. Yeah. Um, well, one of my um, authors, I have a couple, in fact, I have a couple Jewish uh, and queer romances coming out in the next uh, year or so. But um Ashley Herring Blake, uh, Delilah Green Doesn't Care, which is a FF uh, rom-com with Berkeley, and that's coming out next month. She's written in middle grade. She's written in YA. Um, now, this is like her debut adult book. And it's just really cool to see how her voice and like her interests translate across genres. So I'm always really interested to see what authors are doing outside of like the one genre that I might know them for. Oh, yeah. I mean, to like pick your brain a little for recommendations what are books that you recommend like to anyone who's just like looking for something great to read because I have like you know like oh what do you like books I have like specific books but what are your like you know big five like or whatever you have on hand just like the books that you're just like this one for everyone rig red button oh my god you're okay you're asking me this normally I would not be able to remember a single book that I've ever read in my life but I just (laughs) What I did do was, um, and I'm not saying these are like the best books that everybody should read and everybody will love, but I'm getting ready to open up to queries again. And so I made a graphic of like, what are these books that I'm looking for? Oh my um, goodness, Godspeed. That came out in the past couple of years. Um, so I have to say, um, so like this Poison Heart, uh, Kaylin Baron um, does um, uh, queer like fantasy in YA. Um, she did uh, Cinderella is Dad before this one. And it's just like, if you're looking for fantasy, like so fun. Um, Wilder Girls by Rory Powers um, is this uh, like incredibly like dark, gorgeous, lyrical sort of like 
body horror fantasy YA um, that I'm absolutely obsessed with. Um, the Mirror Season or anything by like Anna-Marie McClemore. I have loved their books uh, forever, like Just Wild Beauty. Um, uh, oh my gosh, what was the the one that was before Wild Beauty, which I love so much, uh, When the Moon Was Ours, and there's one in between, and they're just, Lake Lore is their new book coming out. Um, uh, the River Has Teeth by Erica Waters, um, The Ones We're Meant to Find um, by Joan Hay. Uh, so those are some of my like YA recommendations. And then my adult recommendations that I'm looking for, let me pull up that little graphic. Um, I have um, The Wolf and the Woodsman by Ava Reed, if you're looking for like adult dark fantasy horror, which is not like on the page, they don't say Jewish, but it is like a Jewish second world fantasy uh, kind of mm. book. I have The Intimacy Experiment, um, <laughs> Summer Suns by Lee Mandela, which is a um, queer adult horror. Um, the Space Between Worlds um, by Micaiah Johnson is this very, very cool, um, like queer adult sci-fi. And rounding out my adult Rex, Natalie Tan's Book of Luck and Fortune by Rosa Lim uh, also has um, uh, the magical Paris Tea Shop book that's out and another one coming out. And I will read like anything that Rosa Lim writes forever because it's just like romance with magical elements, with cultural elements, with family, and just like so rich, super good. Oh yeah, I love that last one. I wrote a review of that one. It's just like chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, do you have authors that are like on your auto buy list? Like when you see them, you're like, click, done. Um. Well, definitely an adult, Rosie Dan. Uh, I like. Um. Yeah, Rosa Lim would be one of them. What is okay? It's like the. I can't believe I'm blanking on her name, but that's like well met, well played, well matched. Jen DeLuca. Uh, Jen DeLuca. I love Jen DeLuca's like uh, Renaissance books. Um. Meryl Wilsner, I'll probably buy like everything that they write forever. Um, all of my authors are on my auto buy list. Of, of course. course. Nicole, but uh, I can't go into all the ones in YA because they're just too many. <laughs> well, of like, course. Yeah. Um, but those are some of my adult like used to buy. Who are your adults used to buy authors? Oh, it's really hard. Why would you do this to me? I, I'm the one who's asking questions. about <laughs> this question. I am simply. Um, let me think of anybody else. Um, in YA, Rochelle Mead, I love her so much. I loved her um, her series in The Vampires, which are like, there's some things where I'm like, okay, I don't love student teacher anymore. Like that kind of like rubs me the wrong way, generally speaking. But, you know, you can have a problematic fave. Um, ooh, uh, Loretta Chase, um, Kerrigan Byrne. Um, I, I've been kind of into a kind of a Regency era lately just because I am just, I'm so burnt out from life. I've been needing the escapism, but fortunately they're not like, you know, they're not like, you know, colonial manifestos. So it's like, there's still some social awareness in there. And I don't always read like, you know, dukes and counts or whatever. Like I'm also like regular romance about regular people in the past is also a big one for me. Oh, Cat Sebastian, my one true love. Cat Um, Sebastian, praise her. Um, (laughs) If you're ever looking for, um, I don't know if you've read Felicia Grossman's Jewish Regency um, romances or Victorian romances, but Felicia Grossman has um, Jewish historical romances, um, two that are out already. And then uh, full disclosure, like she's my client. And then, yeah, I know she just sold something and I was like, I need it now. A Groom by Midnight, which is a um, Jewish uh, historical Cinderella, like Jenny McCinderella retelling. 
um, and is so like very entrenched in like the Jewish community at this time and place, but also so steamy. Like somebody's just buttoning their glove, and I'm like, it couldn't get hotter than this. And then everybody's oh just, my god, <laughs> it did get hotter. <laughs> but even like the glove buttoning is just like nah. Um, that chef. totally pushes all of my buttons. I'm like now, <laughs> go for it. Yes, if like if I was oh, and then I also have to plug, of course, um, season of love um by um Helena Greer which is a Jewish Christmas rom-com that's coming out this fall um from forever and is we just saw like the cover mock-up it's so so cute but um yeah it's a Jewish uh sapphic rom-com set on a Christmas tree farm very very good that sounds amazing I am so here for that I just I love representation and I also love just like I feel like the more we have, the better things generally will be in the genre. Like, like you know, more is better. And I think the increase, because I know you are an agent, so you sell to like probably more tried pubs. Um, but like having, you know, the advent of like indie being so profitable for so many people, there are so many people just making a living out there. And I'm just so happy for them that they get to write the stuff that a lot of people like publishers just won't buy. Oh, absolutely. No, I think that's why sometimes like a lot of uh, romance authors go hybrid approach so they'll publish traditionally, but then they have like their own business that um, I will still consume the hell out of their books. Um, oh yeah. So after, do you have a recommendation for me? Like after reading the intimacy experiment, which I love so much, do you have an on-hand recommendation? Like what I should read next? Ooh, that's so hard. Cause I feel like we probably have read very similar books. Um, have you already read the Brown Sisters books? No. Oh, wait, no, no, no. I have read the, I read two of, one of the Brown Sisters books and I have the other one. And then the third one just came out, right? Or am I wrong about that? Yeah, yeah. Eve, um, the the third one, Eve, is like probably my favorite, although I love all of them. I think they're all great. But Eve in particular um, is is kind of my baby. I love her very much. And I think that that's also kind of like the spinoff for Talia's new series, um which is going to take place in like the same town um so I really recommend that one if you get around to it it's such a great one it's um it's like a um all of her romances I think are interracial that are in that series but um it's like non-neurotypical folks like um just kind of fallen in love um and it's kind of like a rivals to lovers situation but like like workplace for first proximity um and like Place enemies to lovers as one of as long as one of them is like a big boss or whatever. like that's that's fine I can I, I can read that for sure well I think that in this one like the power dynamics are like kind of it's not iffy it's pretty like I would say um like ethical just because like he is so um not domineering as a boss like he's just like I just need help so badly <laughs> And like, I know, I don't, again, like, I don't want to yuck people's yums. Like, I don't want to say that, like, all relationships that involve a, a, on a power imbalance are, like, bad. I, I know that's some people's thing, like, when you're reading romance books, because there is a difference between what we read in romance books and what we actually want to, like, play out in real life and what we actually think would be appropriate in the real world. But, like, 
yeah, it's definitely something that like I kind of need in order to really enjoy a book and a a relationship. Oh yeah. I I think like equal equals together is very much because a lot of people love like age gap and that's just, I I don't want to yuck anybody else. Age gap is just not for me. Maybe when I get older, I'll be like, oh, I get it. But for me, like I wouldn't even like, I mean, it's not a going concern. I'm married, but like if I were to be in the dating pool, I wouldn't date anybody like I'd say more than a year younger than me. I just, I, I, I like, and I mean, again, like real life and books are very different, but like just the idea of it is very, it's just not a, my thing. Between like 30 and 50 or 20 and 40. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It but like the younger, I like when you get older, depending on everybody's like place in life, like that's fine. But yeah, like 20 and 40 is not my, not my bag, but that's okay if it's yours. I think it's mostly like for me, it's based on power dynamics just because like yeah. a 22 year old and a 40 year old just have very different lives. Yes. Like very different places in their lives. Like, and I, I can't imagine, it's hard for me to imagine that like a lot of choices in that relationship are going to be made based upon the needs of like an unestablished young person versus like somebody who's, you know, a big boss or whatever. Yes. Yeah, so that's just personally not my thing, but I understand like what a lot of people, like a lot of it is like the like the escapism of being taken care of, I think. Yeah, and like, hey, I personally think it would be very sexy to have somebody pay all my bills forever and I don't ever have to worry about that. Uh, that would be great. Yeah, that, that could be, I could see how that would be a turn on. Yep, I would just make my art and have my cat farm. <laughs> also, also an appealing lifestyle, but I'll definitely, I already wanted to get to the Brown Star book next too. So I will absolutely make it a priority. Today. Yes, you'll have to let me know what you think. I love them so much. I think generally just they're very dirty, which I love. I just love how like the filth and the emotional depth is just chef's kiss. Perfection. Yeah, um, I love to come No in. notes. <laughs> absolutely. I think a lot of the time people think that like they're really like the really dirty, sexy books can't be as emotionally fulfilling and as emotionally deep as like something that's like pure and chaste. And I'm like, no, it can be anything that you want it to be. Even my like favorite, I don't read a lot of like, I don't have a lot of authors that I read, but even my very favorite author is like, includes like really intense conversations about faith and um, like, uh, you know, fat phobia and interracial relationships and like, overcoming trauma and things like that but also you know they're all like having sex in the woods or what have you so it's definitely oh, yeah fun. electric idol that just came out is like super super smutty and yeah like super emotionally like oh i'm super fucked up because of my generational trauma yikes let's talk about it hmm? Electric idol oh yeah the new katie robert book oh the neon god is it a sequel to neon god yeah yeah it's the next sister right I'm bookmarking that for sure. <laughs> it's less dirty. It's not as kink. I would say it's still dirty, but not kinky. People were kind of expecting it to be just as kinky as um, Neon Gods. It's not kinky, but it is. Neon Gods, but I've been told by many people that I should read Neon Gods. Neon Gods is like more of like the, like they're both very like exhibitionist people, or at least they get there. Um, but like, <laughs> I would say that like, if like I'd say Electric Idol is more of like the straight up romance of it all like it's it's very it's not so much I would say it's between rivals to lovers and enemies to lovers because their parents are enemies okay so like they are it's a little bit different of a vibe and also like they both have different kinds of power like she has social capital and he is just like 
a murderer. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> you know, I'm just having a normal one, being a murderer. <laughs> the power of being a murderer. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm very interested in that. And I think, um, like, on a, so, okay, so I was talking to somebody the other day about, like, this, like, the steam level, like, steam level rankings. Mm-hmm. And, like, what... In terms of like substance and steam, I think like I love the balance in this book. What would we rate it on like a steam scale of like one to ten for um one being like kiss on the cheek and ten being like yeah, I guess multiple partners toys. (laughs) Yeah, one being like very chaste, like Christian. I'd say this is like at the most like a six. Like it's not, it's not like like, cause you have to think about what people's scales are for me. Like I know what's out there. <laughs> yeah. I think it is really romantic and very sexy and steamy in like ways outside of like the traditional, like, like progression or paradigm of like steamy romance books. Like usually it's like you hit this and this and this and this and this, and this like does take longer and it is like a slower burn and you do mix up the steps a little bit along the way, if that makes sense, because you're, it's a different relationship situation but I do think like I don't want to downplay how like romantic and really fun this book is as well yeah and I think that there's like a couple different kinds of sexy in the book like there's the sex of course which is very sexy but like most of the sexiness in the book is the desire building yeah like like, that the desire building is almost more pornographic than the actual sex like the sex is is sexy yeah if you like yearning you'll definitely like this. Yeah. It's not so much pining though. I think the pining comes later. The, the pining, like the emotional, like, like unfulfilledness of it is like kind of the third act. Like, how can we make this work? No, a lot of it is lust. <laughs> like, yeah. There's a lot of, I feel like the lust is the most sexy part of the book. Like in terms of like, like sex is really hot, but like the place where the steam comes from, in my opinion, is the like, oh, I want to take a bite out of his ass in those pants part of it, you know? For sure, for sure, for sure. And like the, when it's when like the lust evolves into like a more complicated mix of emotions that like things start to kind of happen, but um, do recommend 10 out of 10. One of my favorite romance books for the last couple of years and like super happy to have talked to you about it. And oh my gosh, I was so glad that you put it at the top of my list because I was just, I was blown away. I mean, I was expecting to like it, but I loved it. I'm going to be recommending it a lot. Um, and like you know making graphics of it drawing hearts on it sending Rosie Dane in uncomfortably messages just like I love you <laughs> I really support this path for you absolutely thank you me just becoming an intimacy experiment stan specifically <laughs> turning this one book into my whole personality but thank you so much for making the time to talk to me I had such a great time I loved this book you've given me several hours of entertainment in that one I was just like having a great time stretching it out <laughs> and I'm going to read your various recommendations and I will be interested to see what you read next oh my gosh I have so many things on the back burner but thank you so much and where can people find you Um, they can find me on twitter (laughs) Um, they can find me uh, on my website rebeccapotis.com and all of my little books and my uh the books that I represent in my agent life are all there yay thank you so much I had such a great time Thank you so much for having me. Yay. Shalom. (laughs) Shalom. Have a great Shabbos and hopefully a restful weekend. (laughs) Yes, you too. (laughs) Bye. Bye. 
Well, thank you so much for listening. If you did all the way through, I really appreciate it. This has been a real labor of love. I've been so excited to work on this podcast, um, and I'm so excited to bring on the other authors I'm going to talk to and the other members of the community who have exciting books to recommend and to talk about with me. Um, and if you really enjoyed this podcast and you haven't read The Intimacy Experiment, I highly recommend it, as well as the other Rosian books that are out. Uh, I know I'm picking them up. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you later. Have a good one. Bye-bye.